Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. This is Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa, and today we've got a, a lot to get to and not too much time. So let me let me get right down to business here. Chris's latest article on the last word on sports is out this week. You guys got to check it out. It uh, it it kind of is a, is a look ahead to where the seven Canadian teams might be headed in the off season. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, breaks down each team in uh, kind of an off-season game plan and uh, the tough questions they have to ask themselves in the areas that they need to address. Okay, I, I did check that out. It's uh, pretty good. Uh, we were talking a couple weeks ago, and it's like all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it came uh, it came up that none of the Canadian teams were currently in a playoff position, and that was kind of shocking compared with last year. They had five on board. And it doesn't look like anybody's really going to make that kind of run that, say, an Ottawa did last year either. So a little bit of work to do. A little bit of work to do north of the border there, fellas. Let's get to it. The league's a better league when Canadian hockey teams are in the playoffs. That's all there is to it. I don't think anybody can dispute that point. <laughs> so with that, um, Chris also, he's about to, I think he has another one coming up soon out with the Islanders for the hockey riders. And... Since uh, since Chris does cover the Islanders for them, we're, I'm gonna play uh, I'm gonna play interviewer with Chris here a little bit and uh, break down the free fall that the Islanders are in. Is there first of all? Let's uh, lost seven of eight and eight of eleven, falling from a pretty solid number two spot to what just a couple points ahead of the wild card slot right now. Is that where they're at? They are. They do have games in hand. Uh, keep in mind, they have a game in hand on the Flyers and two on the Red Wings. Um, I, I'll give you the glass half empty numbers and then the glass half full uh, approach. Glass half empty, as you said, they've lost seven of eight, although they have a couple of overtime losses, overtime slash shootout losses. So there's some points in some couple of those other games, but still not a good record. Uh, the last four games, they have scored four goals. Uh, it's a very tough way to win say the least. Um, the Islanders, before Monday, this past week's game against the Flyers, just completed a 14-game stretch where they played 12 games on the road of those 14. This is the glass half-full uh, numbers. In that time, they went to Western Canada and played five games in nine days. They, they also, during that stretch, had road games at, at Minnesota, at the Rangers, at the Penguins, at the Bruins, at the Predators, and at the Stars. The two home games the Islanders had during that 14-game stretch were the Panthers and the Penguins. Now, if I were to lay out those 14 games to somebody and say, okay, the Islanders are going to go 8-4-2 and two in that stretch, I think most people, even not being an Islander fan, say, hey, I'd sign up for that. And that's what they did. Um, the problem was the last couple of games in that stretch at Nashville, and at Dallas, uh, while the games were there to the wire, they lost a couple of close games. And it did not help on the first game back against the Flyers. They lost again. As we're doing this podcast, the Islanders have a huge home game tonight against Ottawa. Uh, they have 11 games left on the schedule. Five of those 11 games are against non-playoff teams. Uh, and uh, obviously, I'm not counting the Flyers, because as of this broadcast, the Flyers are in the playoffs uh, due to a tiebreaker. Uh, the Islanders play Ottawa. They play 
Carolina a couple of times. They play the Blue Jackets and they play the Sabres. But having said that, uh, anyone who has been following the sport this year, and even down the stretch here, when you see these top teams or playoff teams uh, play teams like the Blue Jackets or the Oilers or the Canucks or the Flames, more, more, most of the time you're seeing uh, one-goal games. You're not seeing that playoff team, well, you know, just throw out the pucks and we'll throw out our stakes and we're going to win 6-2. So that's, that's kind of a fair warning when looking at the schedule, not just for Islander fans, but all teams in the playoff race. So uh, the Islander goaltending has not been a problem since Halak has gone down. They've played actually better with Bryce in front, in front uh, the whole season. And again, during the stretch uh, of one win in the last seven, uh, the goaltending's been fine. Uh, for instance, uh, you very well, Mark, with J.F. Baruby. My boy. His background with the Kings. He played a very t- put in a very difficult situation on the road after a back-to-back situation. Uh, the Islanders went to Pittsburgh, and they lost 2-1 to one in a shootout. So, in essence, not in essence, Baruby gave up one goal in 65 minutes. And in the shootout, he only gave up one goal. So, it's not the goaltending. Uh, they this team just has to play better uh, in front of the goalies, and the schedule is there for them in terms of it's workable, and they have games in hand. So it has to start tonight when they host Ottawa. Is is there a chance? Let me ask you this: what's what's more likely they they pass New York and get the second spot back, or they fall to the wild card? Uh, and it's tough to say. They still have games against the Penguins. Uh, they have a game versus the Penguins. They have a game against the Rangers. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they have games in hand on both of those teams. And they are, I believe it or not, I think they have two games in hand on the Penguins, uh, I believe. Uh, and they're only three points back of the Penguins. And um, so, you know, anything's really up for grabs. But the Islanders have to take care of business. They have, like I said, they have these 11 games left, seven of which are at home. Uh, of their final eight, six are at home, and they have to take care of business. So uh, they have to finish out the season strong and uh, have that catapult them into the playoffs. Uh, if that does not happen, and for, uh, if somehow, some way, this team does not make the playoffs, uh, I, uh, with new ownership coming in, there, there will be major changes. There will be... Uh, you basically, uh, I think the coach is gone. Uh, I believe the GM would be gone. And I think new GM will come in and take a fresh look uh, at the roster, at the organization. There's plenty to there for that GM to get excited about. But at the same token, um, I'm not saying hold, uh, change the roster upside down, but uh, they might change to the mix. Wow, that's... But I can tell you from prior, this is going back, this is going back in the day, but I can tell you from prior, uh, I remember in the spring of 93, the Islanders struggled mightily down the stretch to get into the playoffs. And I remember going to a game at the Coliseum and they played then the lowly Alitola Senators uh, in that stretch, who were a relatively new team, lost that game at home and you're like, oh boy, this team's going to be lucky to make the playoffs and even if they do, they're going to get the doors blown off. And then they went on to uh, beat the Washington Capitals in six games, a tough Capitals team. And in the next round, just faced two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. That just was a, an all-star roster with Mario Lemieux, 
Yarmir Yago, Larry Murphy, I can go Tom Barrasso, I go on and on. And the Islanders beat them in seven, seven games without one of their best players in Pierre Turgeon. And it took uh, a, a magical Patrick Law to stop that team in the Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, I would, um, you know, anything is possible. Uh, you know, the floor is open, if you will. But I, I wouldn't, I haven't started writing any articles yet in terms of uh, burying, uh, burying them. But uh, we are definitely at the nitty-gritty time, to say the least. You're DEFCON 2? DEFCON 2 or 3? Uh, I would say, well, you you got to talk to me. If you talk to me after tonight's Ottawa game, uh, <laughs> even, if they, uh, even if they win ugly, as great, uh, great tennis player Brad Gilbert will, would say, as long as they win. So, uh, uh, let's say I, I, there is some concern, but uh, this team uh, does believe in itself and has a lot of character. So, I would I would point that out as well. All right, all right. Well, we'll we'll see after tonight then where we're at. Uh, you did mention the Flyers there. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the Flyers push into the into the Eastern Conference playoffs. Right now, they match up with the Capitals. There, they're in the playoffs. Uh, I'm looking at you, Matt Pryor. Uh, we did a show with Matt Big Tex 1926 there a while ago, and he has a pretty reliable playoff seating. Uh, system that he uses at about the halfway about 42 games he starts kicking it off and historically he puts he can put teams in or out of the playoffs halfway through the season at about a 90 percent clip and we did a, a, a show with him and he had the flyers out at that point along with a number of other teams that are still out but uh i gotta pat myself on the back just for a second and say that uh when when he brought that, I said, of all the teams in the East, I like the Flyers to break your system this year. I think they're, I think that they have what it takes to make up those. I think they were five or six points out at the time, and I thought that was just a little bit too close for that club. There's a lot of character over on that club. So, do you think they stay in? I know their schedule down down the stretch here is brutal, but uh, you think they stay stay in the playoffs? I think it's up in the air. I mean, they do have a game. The tie with the Red Wings. Don't ask me to repeat the ROW, but it's close between those two teams. They're both at 83 points. As of this broadcast, the Flyers have uh, a game in hand. Uh, interesting to note, the last week of the season, season ends on Sunday the 10th. On Wednesday the 6th, the Flyers are at Detroit. Point to note, the Flyers still play the Penguins a couple of times. You also play the Islanders on Sunday the 10th, ironically. So uh, that's also going to help the Islanders going back to them. That the Flyers, you know, teams like the Flyers and the Penguins and the Red Wings, when they match up, um, you know, if the Islanders take care of business or, you know, do a decent job, they can gain points because night, both teams can't win on that given night. Um I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a huge supporter on either team, so I think it's... Uh, I think it's a flip of a coin who gets in between the Flyers and the Red Wings. Man, what is it? What is it for the Red Wings? I think twenty-seven straight years they've been in. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. I think Reagan was. I think Reagan was president. Well, I mean, I think that's all you need to know. That's about it. Yeah, and the Miracle on Ice was fresh in everybody's mind. Um, crazy. I, I I don't know. I I call the Flyers and I'm gonna stick with it. Just put me on right. You, one one quick side note. You think the Ghost is the Rookie of the Year? Ah, uh, could be, could be. Uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see. 
That's, uh, I haven't really delved into that yet, but uh, it's obviously in the running. I think for me, I, I don't, I don't care that Connor McDavid has a point a game average. He's only played forty games, fifty games. I can't give you a rookie of the yeah, year. Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be it. more the kid on the. I think it'll be Panarin. more the kid on the horse. Yeah, um, I think it's got to come down to Panarin and, and the Ghost because uh, that kid's really energized that club. Man, he's uh, love that guy. Love that guy. So, um, we looked at the, the wild card there in the East. Let's go back to the West now. Thanks to the uh, Devin Dubnik, Minnesota is now back in that, that second wild card spot, bumping, bumping Colorado out of there. We only got a couple minutes left to sit on this. Um, what do you think in the West? you think Colorado gets it done? Well, again, as of, this, uh, as of this podcast, Minnesota, when I say a full, yes, is in the second spot of the second wild card with, with 81 points. Mm-hmm. However, Colorado is at 80 points and has a game in hand. They do. So, and Colorado has, currently has the tiebreaker. I wrote this down. The ROW, they have 34, and Minnesota has 32. Um, and this Saturday, the tw- uh, March 26th, Colorado hosts the Wild. Ooh. So that's to say that's going to be a big game, and it's the yeah. last time the two teams meet. meet. Having said that, Colorado is uh, a little bit banged up uh, currently. And Matt Duchesne, Nathan McKinnon are day to day with knee situations. Obviously, they you know they need them back in the lineup. Uh, they cannot miss too much time. And ironically, the Flyers go to Colorado. I know. I think that's the next game uh, for the Avalanche. So you can see how all these dominoes are right next to each other. How they one can impact the other. Um, again, I think that's a coin flip. Uh, we did discuss it. I won't go through it again, but if you people look up the Avalanche's uh, schedule the rest of the way, it's it's brutal. They really have a very, very uh, tough stretch. To put, it, put, to put it mildly, the Flyers or the Wild are probably their two easiest games. They still have to go to Nashville, St. Louis. Actually, they have to go to Nashville twice, St. Louis, Dallas, and, and then they have home games against the Capitals, the Blues, and Ducks. So um, that's a brutal stretch. Yeah, I guess we'll have to. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, let me get out to a break. Coming up next, Andrew Andrew G. Forbes. He's the fantasy editor and Maple Leafs writer for the Hockey Writers. He does play by play for the London Junior Knights Hockey Club. Uh, he'll be joining us. We're going to look at what uh, Toronto's going to do in the off season and look ahead to the draft. So we'll be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk radio format streaming station. Check it out. And welcome back to the break. Thanks for coming in. Uh, special guest, Andrew Forbes. He's the fantasy editor f- for uh, thehockeywriters.com and also the Maple Leafs contributor. And he's he's been on the show before. Andrew, welcome back once again. Always glad to be with you guys. No, we appreciate it. It's our pleasure for sure. And we're, we're just talking and uh, new, new to everybody from the last time you were on. You picked up play-by-play duties for the London Junior Knights Hockey Club. That's uh, that's outstanding, yeah. sir. Congratulations on that. 
Appreciate that. So uh, we're going to get into the draft a little bit later. Maybe you've got a little hidden Jim down there who might be might be heading into juniors here coming up next season. But uh, let's go right to the Maple Leafs here. And uh, I only I got a couple questions. Just just going back to the start of the season when they when they brought Babcock in the one the one thing I remember from that press conference is he he just kept using the word pain and I think he he was somewhat Nostradamus like in his projection of of where this season went um, I'm looking at the standings and and yes you guys look like you will have the most ping pong balls in the first set of lottery because. And it, I, it was surprising to me. You have your four games in hand over the next, I guess, highest you could say, the next, the next team in front of you, uh, the Edmonton Oilers. They've already played seventy six games, and you guys are sitting at seventy two. So, I know, I know you're, I know you're hot and heavy getting your your draft projections ready, and you've already put a number of of uh, player profiles up at the hockey writers, um, assuming that uh, the ball bounces the way. And everybody knows that the ball always bounces to Edmonton, so let's get that out of the way. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's pretty much uh, a unanimous Austin Matthews to Toronto. Is that uh, is that where you guys are headed with that? I mean, you'd have to think so. Uh, well, if you look at it right now, based on winning percentage, we're actually second to Edmonton um, in terms of where we would sit. Again, you mentioned the games in hand, so... I mean, assuming that plays out the way it seems to be playing out, Edmonton could have more ping pong balls in that in that draft lottery. But um, you, you know, when it comes to first overall picks, we see this a lot with Edmonton. Is is uh, there's almost a pressure into who you who you're going to pick, and I think that's why they took a Yakupov. They took a Nugent Hopkins when they did. Um, it's because there's that pressure there. Um, you know, the media, media is all over it. Who, who are you going to take first? Yakupov's the new, unanimous number one. The same thing can be said about this draft. I mean, you've got Patrick Laine, you've got Pugliarvi, you've got so many, so much talent, so much depth in this, you know, the first 10 picks of this draft. But the pressure's almost been there for a year and a half now saying, okay, well, there's no question Austin Matthews is the number one overall pick. I I do believe he's got the skill set. He's got the hockey IQ. He can see the ice the way that, you know, only a select few can. I think he's a great pick. Um, I would not be surprised to see, say, a Pugliarvi kind of move up. Now, Pugliarvi's been injured, so that sort of hits his, his draft, um, you know, possibly moving up one spot, it, it kind of, he takes a hit for that. But, I mean, it, it's really one, two, and three are going to be pretty even picks this season. And I, I think that's just a testament to how deep this draft is going to be this year. Huh. Um, you did you did mention something that kind of reflect uh, on, on Mitch Marner from last season. Um, a lot of the same things about the hockey IQ and the, 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 the ice vision that, was said about Mitch Marner. Um, it's also being said about Austin Matthews. Is and then with with seeing William William Nylander. Is it Nylander? It's what Nylander. Uh, seeing him come up. William William Nylander. Yeah. Nylander. Um, seeing him come up and and uh, I was hoping that we would get a, get a look at him this season. Um, 
he seems to have the same physical build and tools as Mitch Marner does. Can you kind of com- contrast uh, Austin Matthews to those two players? And would taking the Austin Matthews almost be a redundant pick as far as skill set of what's already in the farm system? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go back to Edmonton for a second here because that's the same thing they did is they continually drafted those skilled forwards. 100%. Same kind of mold. Yeah, you know, and it, it played out kind of poorly for them. And I think that's what you're getting into here is you've got Austin Matthews who is six foot, 200 pound winger while you've got, you know, guys like Mitch Marner, you have a Nylander, you have a Kasperi Kapanen type player where they, they're going to be the same sort of size and, and build. Now, when you, when you get into the, the two, three projections here, Patrick Line is 6'4", 210. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi is 6'3", about 200. So, I mean, you get a little bit more size there. Right. But, uh, I mean, again, I think a lot of it comes down to being pressured into that pick. Austin Matthews had an unbelievable year in Zurich. It came to a quick end, which, you know, it's unfortunate for him and the team, but this is a guy who, who went out and even at the World Juniors dominated the play. He knew he, he played up to par, up to expectation. So I don't really think it's a bad pick to take Austin Matthews first. I mean, worst case scenario is you, you grab him and maybe trade one of your other assets. But at the same time, do you risk going with a Patrick Line, a Jesse Pugliarvi? Um, and knowing that you are already getting a little bit more size with them, and they have the same skills that they have the same ability to see the ice. So I don't think you go wrong in any three of the top, you know, the first three picks there. So if if Toronto decides to, to pass over Austin Matthews, and with the, the management team that they have in place now, I mean, anything is is really possible. You, sure. You've got guys like Lou Lamorello who's <laughs> been known to, to kind of surprise everybody, right? I don't think you pressure Lamorello into doing anything. I think he will decide no, what he and, wants and to do, and that's what he'll do. I did want to ask, though, about the other two players. Um, are either one of them centermen? Um, both of them are listed as wingers. Um, I do believe Jesse Pugliarvi has played some center as well. I'd like to see the a big centerman go to Toronto. Um, from the outside looking in, that that seems to be like what like you were talking about your other skilled uh, kind of smaller framed forwards. Um, having a, having a big bodied guy that could move to center with with ice vision and presence, uh, I think would go a long way towards helping, especially if they could get get a player like that going both ways, two hundred feet, say. Um, Jonathan Taves style, Andre Kopitar style, that kind of even even a Jeff Carter, um, that kind of a player going two ways would maybe, I mean going against the grain obviously uh, from the, from Matthews off number one, but that kind of a player seems uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong for sure that's kind of the 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 six four two two fifteen guy not really stocked in the cupboard there in Toronto is that a fair statement? Oh, it's, it's definitely a fair statement. And I was going to come in and say, I mean, since since Matt Sundin, we have not had an unborn center in Toronto. There has not been a guy who can play that two-way game, who has the ability to go into the dirty places in the, in the offensive zone and come out come away with the puck. And that's, that's something that every team, every playoff contender needs is that number one center. 
And I'm not saying that a guy like Nylander or Marner can't come up and play to the to the capability of a number one center, but they don't have the size. And no matter how long you let them grow, they're not gonna they're never gonna sprout to be a six four, six five guy. They're gonna be sort of that six foot, two hundred pound, you know, pure score. For sure. But you need a guy who can be a two way forward as you mentioned, like a Jeff Carter, Jonathan Taves, and Anze Kopitar. Yeah, that's uh that's kinda where I was where I was hoping that uh and listen, I'm just a I'm just a hack podcaster, but from the outside looking in. Um and now now keep in mind, and if my math is, is correct here, going into the off season once the players they acquired uh their contracts expire, I believe they're going to be somewhere near twenty five million dollars under the cap. Am am I pretty close with that? Yeah, you are, and uh, you know that—that's where a lot of speculation is. Is—is is what are they going to do in this off season? Is there a center out there like a Steven Stamkos that they go after? Now, I'm not saying that they go after Steven Stamkos. I'm just saying there—you know—there is that possibility because they have the—they have the cap space. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. Um, I think Chris started the Stamkos to Maple Leafs rumors in August <laughs> last year, <laughs> and uh, obviously. Well, not maybe not obviously, but for all outside appearances, it sure looks like he's going to test free agency at the very least. Um, I would assume so. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't seem like the same same player that he started out as in Tampa Bay, and I think part of that is knowing that uh, you know there's a youth movement there, and and even though he's still a young player, um, you know he's the veteran guy on that team, so I don't think they have the money to keep him long term. No, I think their first offer was somewhere seven and a half, eight million dollars. We talked about it a few shows ago with one of the one of the guys we had on, and it it's like almost a slap in the face for a player of that caliber. So, yeah, it could be uh, it could be the Steven Stamkos show in Toronto. Interesting, Chris. I want to bring you in. I'm hogging this whole segment. I told you I didn't really have much to talk about, and here I am. We got about four minutes left in this segment. I'm I'm running on, running on. Chris, jump in, uh, jump in, and and say hello to Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Yeah, I got three questions on the Leafs before we get to the the draft, and that is, um, so you know, Uwe Morel and the boys have been busy uh, when the calendar turned to January. Uh, Dion Phaneuf is uh, gone. They made, I believe, they made two trades with the Sharks. One with the Caps. And it seems to me that they cleared out long-term cap space with these moves and picked up some some nice uh, second-round picks. Uh, how would you evaluate those those trades? Well, I mean, that was the goal at the beginning of the season, and I think everybody knew when they started signing these uh, these veteran players for you know minim- minimal contracts. That was uh, that was sort of the goal, and unfortunately, they weren't able to move Parento. Um, who could have probably brought back maybe a fourth, maybe a third for, for what he's done this season. But, uh, I mean, it, they're going into the draft in good position with uh, with a number of picks. Now, remember, they do owe a third round in 2016 or 17 to Detroit for Babcock. Uh, and they do owe a, th- a third round in either 2016, 2017, or 2018 to New Jersey for Lula Morello. Again, going back to that compensation rule that that's conveniently was, was changed following that. Yeah, that's silly. But, uh, I mean, 
even with that in mind, I mean, you're you're sitting in a good spot over the next three seasons with with a number of picks, um, anywhere from the first round on. I mean, you know, with with the hopes that Pittsburgh makes the playoffs this year, they've got possibly two first round picks in in what could be one of the deeper drafts in you know the last five six years. So, I, I mean, the finesse deal is probably the best. Uh, you know, able to get rid of that long-term contract without having to take back, eat, eat any of these, the salary. That's, I mean, that's huge for them. Um, you know, they took back Mahalik, they took back, uh, uh, Greening, but uh, two guys that, you know, can produce a little bit more maybe than, than Fnuff. They were utilizing Fnuff in a, a top two defensive role when really he should be your three, four. He should be a guy that doesn't have that sort of pressure on him, and and I think he's he kind of ha- tried to live up to that expectation, and it just wasn't working in Toronto, especially with the media scrutiny that that uh, exists in Toronto. So I believe though, you know, I believe all the contracts they took back though, Andrew, they don't they all come off the books after next season. I believe all of them come off the books after next season. So long term, they they put themselves in a great a great. Uh, um, position um you know and, and they have they have a lot of rfas coming up next season too so i you're looking at they're gonna have to make do some do some book work there but you know even getting rid of a guy like like reimer i it's sad to see him go as as somebody who's watched him grow here in toronto um you know a good quality guy a guy that uh, had a lot to say in the dressing room a good leader um but you know if he was going to come back with the numbers he had put up early this season, he was going to probably be be getting more than maybe he deserved here in Toronto. Let me uh, um, let me jump in, Andrew. I got to take us out to a break here. Um, we'll come back, yeah. we'll come back and finish up that on James Reimer because uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that too. So hang tight, everybody. We'll be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk-radio-format streaming station. Check it out. And welcome back to Hockey Fans. We're talking with Andrew Forbes of the Hockey Writers. Uh, we were just talking about Optimus Rhyme there going to San Jose. And it, that that trade did surprise me. I thought that the rumblings coming out were that the, they were kind of soured on my old boy Jonathan Bernier. And that maybe hoping that, that Rhyme would be able to uh, maybe take that spot. I mean, I believe, I believe Bernier's either up. He's up in 26. 16, 17 summer. Um, what, what do you think? Am, am I off base there? I thought the 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 under, undercurrent there was that they were kind of starting to sour on Bernier. Well, I, uh, you know, I think I think in large part they were souring on Bernier. I mean, even since the, the Reimer trade, we've we've seen numerous starts from Garrett Sparks. Um, and Bernier is a, a unrestricted after 2016-17. So, but I, I think a, in large part his numbers early on made it really difficult to trade a, a goaltender for, you know, a cap hit of just over four million. 
Whereas, you know, you get a guy like Reimer who has shown that he's able to, I mean, think back a couple of years when, when the Leafs made that playoff run. Yeah. Seven games against Boston. Devastating loss. But the reason they were there was the, the play of James Reimer. He's the reason that they even made the playoffs that season. Um, and he showed glimpses of that again this season where he got his confidence back. He was able to play, make those big stops, uh, you know, stop 40 shots a game. This is a guy who's, you know, double digits in 40 game, 40 save games this season. And, uh, you know, it, it, all it takes is a little bit of defense and, and, and systematic play in your own zone to, to make a goaltender look that much better. So I think it was just easier to trade James Reimer, whereas, you know, a guy like Bernier at 4.2 million is, is a little bit more difficult when it comes to what can he do for us. And he's not a, he's not a backup goalie. He's not a guy who wants to sit on the bench. So, you know, I think Toronto offered him that starting role now with, uh, Reimer out of the picture. And, and again, Reimer's contract was just much easier to trade. And I think that's why you saw him go to San Jose. Do you think, uh, they retain Bernier or do you think they let him go? I think you see what he can do at the start of 2016, 17, a new confidence, hopefully coming off an off season. Um, but I mean, you gotta look for a guy like that can be a franchise goaltender. I don't think Bernier is a franchise goaltender. Um, we don't know what we're seeing with Bebo yet. I think he's a solid goaltender in the minors. If he can come up and do the same thing at the NHL level, that's something that you know you have to look at. The other thing is there's a, there's a guy like by the name of uh, Carter Hart in this year's draft, and he's uh, he's a guy that uh, could go you know, early second round, mid second round. And there's, that's a guy that you might want to look at. He's, you know, he's put up solid numbers for Everett, uh, the Everett silver tips and, um, you know, smaller goalie again, like Bernie, but, um, you know, that's something that you want to, you want to keep an eye on. Cause I don't think Bernie is the guy who's going to, going to take you to a Stanley cup. So, so, uh, it's, tw- it's 27 in your hand, Jonathan Bernie, Las Vegas, black Knights. You heard it here first, folks. There you go. <laughs> I would I wouldn't mind having a, a, a having him on the roster when uh, we break break uh, break break the league here in 2017. That would be uh, I'd be that wouldn't be bad. Great at all. guy to start your start your team with. Sure, three or four years down the road, give give him a three four year deal, and then trying to develop your own kid uh, in the draft. Love it. Sign me up. There you go. <laughs> all right, Chris, hop in. Uh, I know you had a couple more. Yeah, I got a couple of quickies with the leaps and the draft. So, so Andrew, I've been re- reading this thinking or this theory of it's important for the Leafs to finish worst overall because with the new lottery rules, uh, if they finish worst overall, the worst case scenario is the Leafs would pick fourth overall, and that there is a there is a gap between picks one through four and let's say the next six or seven selections. So, uh, the difference between picking fourth overall and fifth overall, uh, let's say say uh, Matthew Kachuk at number four, or take your pick as a, uh, of the next grouping of players, is a, uh, is a wide gap. Do you, do you think there's any validity to that? Um, I think there's, I think in most years you're going to see a, a much wider gap between, you know, the top four and, and say five to ten. 
I think this year is a little bit different when you get a guy like, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's, who's moved up into the top five in some rankings. Um, you know, and Alex Nylander, who's, who's a guy that, uh, has, has shown his abilities at uh, the World Juniors this year. Even a, even a guy like Matthew Tuchuk. And, and there's another London, London Knight, um, you know, connection that the Leafs might look at. With uh, the way that he, you know, if they drop to five or if they drop to six, and he's he's around, you know, Mark Hunter knows these these kids from London. He's you know his brother's coaching. Uh, he used to run the team. He drafted some of these kids. Right. So that's that's something to keep in mind as well. Is there's that London connection, and there's three London Knights within the top twenty picks or projections. Um, so you know, maybe maybe they if. If they drop to five, they've still got a guy who can be a game changer, and that's that's something you don't see in every draft. Is once you get to five and ten, you're not going to see game changers. You're going to see guys that can make the players around them better, and that that creates a good team player. Um, but when it comes to this draft, I mean, it's so deep. You're looking at the top ten picks being guys who can really bring a lot of interest and a lot of intrigue to your to your team. So I, I think one to ten, you're you're probably pretty safe. But you know, if you're with if you're the least where you are right now in your rebuild, you want to be a top five pick. You don't want to drop any further than that. So, like I mentioned earlier, right now in terms of winning percentage, Edmonton's got a better chance at first overall. When it comes to the draft, you don't want Toronto dropping any any further than five if they want to make get that player who's supposed to right right how and would... my last question well, my last question on the Leafs and just to promote a, a great writer at the hockey writers uh, Mark Schiegel pronouncing that right we, we got to get him on the show uh, he's at, at THW Mark he had an interesting article today uh, talking about in all likelihood the Leafs will have uh, as you pointed out earlier Andrew two first round picks if the Penguins make the playoffs and the Phil Kessel trade the Leafs get their first round pick and his uh, his um, plan or thought process was the Leafs are going to try to use that second first round pick provided the Penguins will go on a crazy uh, playoff run that pick could be somewhere in the high teens dangle one or one or two of their uh, many uh, draft picks in this draft they have two picks in every round through rounds one through four and maybe throw in let's say a captain in and take that, that second first-round pick, which could be 18, 19, or even, say, 20, and get in the top 10, and as you just pointed out, having being in the top 10 of this draft, you think that's feasible that they could pull all that off? I, I, I think it's feasible. You know, even last year at the draft, you saw Kyle do this, kind of find a way to shift around picks and, and acquire more for their higher picks, and I think he's got the ability to do the reverse and, and take two second-round picks and move up with your first-round pick. So if, if in fact, Pittsburgh makes the playoffs this year, like you said, Toronto is going to have two quality first-round picks, probably mid to late teens, given that you know Pittsburgh hasn't really found that chemistry to go far in the playoffs. Um can they take that and, as you mentioned, maybe a captain or, or uh, you know, somebody of that magnitude, even a Connor Carrick, yeah, Connor Brown even, um, and, and maybe 
throw in like a third or fourth round pick as well and find a way into that, you know, maybe 11, 12 area of the first round. It's doable. It's, we've seen it before and it, you know, Toronto's going to be looking to do whatever they can to get two quality players out of this first round if Pittsburgh makes the, makes the playoffs. So I wouldn't put it past them as, you know, a possibility. They're going to, they're going to try their best. If, if the right deal comes along, they're going to make it. Remember, they're not looking to trade away too much of their future either. And they've got one of the better prospect pools in the NHL right now. They're easily top five in terms of their prospect pool. So do you, do you risk giving up another guy even if you're going to get a late team pick? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, again, they, they, they can get a guy like Marcus Jones in the, in the late teams. They can get a guy like, uh, you know, Alex DeBrincat. You know, there's, there, there, there's two guys that are, are going to be solid picks late in the first round. So if they, if they don't think the trade is right for them, if they don't think that it's worth giving up a solid prospect, I, I don't see them moving up as far as maybe 10, 11, 12, but, like I said, I mean, it's, it's the NHL, it's the NHL draft, anything's possible. So it's, it's something that could, could happen down the road. Now, now Chris brought up a point we were talking, uh, last week and a little bit earlier today. How much of the, of the draft, draft day deadline trades, draft day deadline, that's not even a phrase. Um, how, <laughs> how much of the draft day movement this year is going to be, kind of influenced by the potential I mean by then we'll know expansion draft coming next year and players they may not want to uh, lose and or players they want to protect um, what do you think about that I think it's going to be uh, a pretty significant talking point um, especially in any trade talk because they, I mean even going back to Toronto is something that was mentioned earlier is that uh, they've been told that Al- or that William Nylander is a guy that they would have to protect under under the expansion rules, which, you know, he's only played, what, 11 games in the NHL, but 12 games, I think. He's, he's a guy that, because he played pro prior to coming over, um, he's expected to be protected. So, I mean, there, there's a guy that you have to waste one, well, not waste, but use one of your protected forwards on right off the bat and and uh you know that's going to be something that uh, all teams are going to have to look at i think what's really going to suffer is going to be the goalie market because you've got teams right now i mean look at look at the islanders for example thomas grace do you think he's going to be this kind of goaltender next season i don't know if he's going to have this even close to the same numbers um you know a max jones is is he you know, is he the, the same quality goaltender that's going to continue to put up big numbers and play 65 games a year? I, I don't know. I haven't seen enough from him to, to say yes. You know, Cam Talbot in Edmonton. Right. There's not that quality goaltending depth that there was, say, five, six years ago. But then look at, the, got, other, look at know, the other side, too, with the Ducks. They're going to have to make the decision of which one of their two young goaltenders they're moving forward with, and one of those guys will be available probably this year at the draft. I, I would I would likely 
I would I would say you'll likely see Frederick Anderson available. I think if you're if you're the Ducks right now, you're going with John Gibson all the way. Yeah, but I, I think so, I mean I think Freddie would be a good piece for a team like a Calgary. Um, certainly, oh, Freddie would be a great fit in in well, probably fifteen other cities. But I could I could see uh, Calgary maybe Toronto. Just, and maybe Toronto. You never know. Maybe Toronto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, let me let me I do it. go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. We got about a minute. I oh okay. Maybe we can keep Andrew for the beginning of the next segment. Just have one quick question on the draft of, of a big picture view for him. Can you hang out for another few minutes, Andrew? Certainly. All right, right on. Well, let me let me get us out here just a couple minutes early or a couple seconds early, and uh, we'll come back. We'll finish up with Andrew, and and uh, we'll do a little expansion talk. Uh, hang on. We'll be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk-radio-format streaming station. Check it out. And welcome back once again to Vegas Hockey Podcast, along with Chris Lisa and Mark Warner. And we'd like to once again thank Andrew Forbes for coming on, spending some time with us. We've been having a great conversation about the Maple Leafs and the upcoming draft. Um, I know I know Chris had uh, just one more general strength question about the upcoming draft. Andrew's been putting up a lot of player profiles uh, on his Twitter feed at Andrew G Forbes. F-O-R-B-E-S, so make sure if, if you guys interested in, in looking at the drafts or Maple Leafs hockey, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter and also at the Hockey Writer, uh, HockeyWriters.com. Their, their Twitter handle's at the Hockey Writer. So, Chris, fire away, buddy. Yeah, Andrew, to me, when I, and again, we'll find out in a couple, two, three, four years' time, the proof will be in the pudding. But just, you know, uh, based on what we know, Last year's draft was what you would call the super draft, the grade A draft. I mean, the, the Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel, as great as they are, or they are great aside, I mean, you have people like Matthew Barzell going 16th overall, Kyle Connor going 18th overall, I believe Colin White going 21 or 22nd overall. I remember reading about last year's draft of how thrilled so many teams were with the value they were getting in the fifth and sixth rounds of last year's draft. Com- comparing this year's taking that all in, comparing this upcoming year's draft to last year's draft, if, if last year's draft was a grade A draft, what would you say this year's draft is and, and, and in terms of uh, the depth of this year's draft? I think you're looking at uh, probably a B-plus um, even you know it's going to be right there with with last year's draft. You, you've got guys like Alex DeBrinket, you know, supposedly going twenty six, twenty seven. You've got uh, a Brett Howden going twenty seven, twenty eight. As we we were talking about earlier, uh, Charlie McAvoy. Maybe some people have him bottom of the first, early second round. Um, you know, the first goaltender is not even projected to go until early second round. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of depth in the, in terms of this draft. Um, you know, even Sean Day is not projected to go anymore until the third round. And I think his junior career hurt him quite a bit. But, um, you know, there's, there's a big, solid defenseman that, uh, 
there's a lot of hype around coming into junior. So, you know, even even London's goaltender Tyler Parsons, who's who's put up a solid season for the London Knights, uh, he's he's projected late third round. So, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, excitement surrounding some of these players in, in the next couple of years, and it, it's going to be right up there with last year's draft. These are two of the better drafts we've seen in a long time. Now, you you mentioned Debrinket a couple of times. I I remember the name. Did, did he have a like a phenomenal World Juniors this year? Is that where I remember him from? He had a he had a pretty solid World Juniors, but uh, he played uh, he plays for Erie in the OHL, and um, okay. you know got a chance to you know he's he's put up a, an unbelievable season for Erie and and helped them clinch first in the Western Conference in the Ontario Hockey League. So there you go. Uh, he's he's a guy to watch. Okay, well, with having uh, we're gonna kind of segue out to a little bit. Uh, little bit more expansion talk just first of all what's what's your take on where the nhl is gonna is gonna go i i think pretty much everybody's on board that vegas is going to get a team a so i guess two-part question b do you think quebec city and and we're on record saying that man we hope we go in as a franchise with quebec city as our as our sister you know usually if they expand with two teams those two teams are always looked at together uh, for the rest of their incarnations um so we're we're totally on board with a quebec city expansion franchise i think it'd be great for the league um the better uh, hockey is in canada the better the national hockey league is um but do you think this is the right time and do you think the nhl will pull the trigger and expand two teams I'll first say that I've been, you know, one of the voices in the last couple of years talking about how saturated the league has become. Now, in saying that, uh, you know, I'm going to backpedal a little bit and say, you know, getting getting the enforcers out of the game has altered the skill level of the game. It has changed the game entirely. Um, you're looking at a lot of smaller guys coming into the league now that, you know, Five, six years ago, you wouldn't have, uh, you know, a guy like Mitch Marner, a guy like Max Domi Tyler having the Johnson. same success that they had. Exactly. So, I, I mean, in that sense, you know, the, there is some more skill starting to show up in the league, and, and I, I can appreciate that. Getting into the expansion, I think there's been so much talk around Vegas. I think they have to explore what they've got there. Um, and, and in saying that, I think now would be the time. If you're going to do expansion, don't do it one now and let's say one five years down the road. If you're going to do expansion now, do two teams and, and come back to Quebec. Give them a second chance. Look what, look what they did with Winnipeg. You know, you For come sure. back to Winnipeg and, and even if that team hasn't had the ex- success that, you know, they would want so far since they've returned, that is a team that has the the followers, the the um, you know the fan base that wants them to be there, wants them to be successful. And I think if you go back to Quebec right now, you are going to find that you are going to have the same sort of um, you know uh, fan base, the viewership, the the entertainment of being right back downtown Quebec City. That's 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 a good place to be. 100%. If if you've ever been to Quebec, I mean it's it's a great place to be. So you know, come back with it with a with a bang. Go to Vegas. Go to Quebec, and you know, see what you got there. If you're gonna, if you want to go to Seattle, that's when you move a team, move a Florida, move a Tampa Bay. That's not getting the fan base. Move a Carolina. You know, 
those are teams that aren't getting the fan base where they, where they are. Move them to Seattle if that's what you're looking to do, but don't don't expand to Seattle. I don't think you're going to get the same quality of um, you know hockey fan that you will get in places like Las Vegas and Quebec. So that that that's my view on it, anyways. And, and I know take, interesting the, take because uh, the the general consensus out there is expand to Vegas. Get Seattle to build an arena. Everyone knows Gary Bettman's in love with Seattle for for whatever reason. Even though they don't have an owner and they don't have a building, um, tough market to crack with those handicaps. Um, and and it's a yeah. basketball town. Anywhere you look, and anything to do with an arena in Seattle. And God bless our. We have good friends up in Seattle. Uh, the Seattle Sinbin podcast has been great friends of our show, and I'm not disrespecting the Seattle market at all, but. Everything you look at, their memorandum of understanding on how to release uh, public funds to get an arena is all based on an NBA team returning. You have Sonics rising, yeah. um, and it's a basketball town. Um, I know Gary Bettman's mm-hmm. in love with it, and the the but the consensus has been expand in the West to even the conference and then move an Eastern Conference team like a Carolina um, I don't see the Florida Panthers moving because they just got an $87 million bailout to stay in Florida for seven years from their Sunrise City Council. But And I, I think the fan base in Tampa Bay is supporting that team really well. But like a Carolina, and I'm going to go off the map here, but New Jersey is consistently in the bottom third of the league and usually in the bottom, uh, let's say, five or six teams where – that's the kind of team that most people think would be relocated to Quebec City. But I, I would love to go in with such a, a, a rich tradition of hockey as a city like Quebec. It would be almost like the yin and yang of the NHL today, where the I don't think anybody could imagine a much more non-traditional hockey market than Las Vegas. And there's not too many yeah. more traditional markets than Quebec City. Um, and I, I think that would just be a great counterbalance to bring us both into the league at the same time. I just wanted to go go forward with what you, what you said there and say, you, you know, isn't that a bad sign, though, that Sunrise had to go and bail out, you know, the hockey team? Like, oh, 100%. They have been, they have been uh, you know, until recently, a laughingstock of the NHL. They have been, you know, a team that just cannot draw fans regardless of, of what they, they're able to do, what kind of product they put on the ice. And for years, they didn't put a good product on the ice because they weren't getting the fans out to watch the games anyway. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it's going to take. I, I, I just want to know what it's going to take for Bettman to look above the border here and, and, and put another team in Canada. As you mentioned, you know, it, it's gonna it's a strong market up here for the most part. For sure. For, for, for you to put a team back in Quebec, that's, you know, that's something that you've got to really think hard about. And I, I do understand I, the, uh, the concerns of where the Canadian dollar is and how that affected uh, the previous incarnation of the Nordiques. But oh, I, I, it's got to be a PR disaster for the league if they give Las Vegas a team and they have to for whatever reasons they come up with, turn a, turn a blind eye to the to the Quebec expansion bid. How how can they spin that into a positive situation? Um, geez, I just I just don't know. I don't know. That's that's a tough one, Chris. I heard yeah. you trying to jump in. Jump in, buddy. 
Yeah, I just wanted to bring up, uh, we wanted to mention about the expansion process, get you guys' thoughts on this. Uh, you know, the, the early word is uh, teams will, be, will lose, if it, depending on how many teams come in. For each team that comes in, uh, you lose one player. So one team would be one player, two teams would be two. And teams would be able to protect three defensemen, seven forwards, and one goalie. And, you know, to keep in mind, uh, what does it all mean? What kind of players are going to become available? Well, you know, if you can only protect one goalie, and uh, Andrew mentioned this before, uh, about the Ducks having, you know, Jonathan Gibson and Frederick Anderson, or even to a lesser extent, uh, the Penguins having uh, Flurry and, and Murray. Well, if you look like a team at the Wild, for instance, and and all the defensemen that they have, Ryan Suter, Broden, Scandella, Spurgeon, Riley, Dumba, and then at the forward position, teams like the Stars and Caps, and then the whole no-movement clause. So, for instance, if I looked at, one could argue, hey, if you're Minnesota, don't protect Ryan Suter, who signed for, after next year, I believe, eight, eight more seasons at $7.5 million, and he's now 32, 33. Protect the other guys. Well, one problem with that, he has no movement clause, so he would have to be protected. Just kind of throwing those thoughts out there and kind of getting a quick, early glimpse of uh, expansion. What do you guys think of that? I think it's, I mean, like you mentioned, like, you've got to take a lot of the no movement in, in, into consideration. A guy like, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury cannot be, he has to be protected. So right there, you're using your goalie, uh, protection on, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, whether you like it or not. Um, at the same time, um, you know, I think there are teams who would be willing to leave a couple players unprotected. I know Toronto would love if an expansion team came in and, and took Joffrey Lupo off their hands. Hmm. You know, I, I think there's there's two sides to this story. And, and um, you know, I think if you have, if you have, as I mentioned, if, you have, if you're going to decide to do expansion, come in with two teams because you don't want to be doing this whole thing all over again in, you know, two or three years. So, uh, you know, uh, I think that, like I said, there's two sides to the story. I think uh, there are teams that are willing to, let a couple guys walk those those salary mistakes that they made, you know, during the off season or, or what have you. But um, you know, as you mentioned, some teams are going to be forced into using their protected player um, designations on on players that they unwillingly. I mean, look at Vancouver. You've got a guy like Dan Hamhuis who has no movement clause. Um, you know, that's something that uh, that has to be taken into consideration as well. I guess. And you mentioned Vancouver too. Interesting. Two years ago, when they were trying to move move him in the worst way, and he just flat out said himself at the press conference, "It's my contract. It sucks. They can't move me." Um, those, those, you know, and I've I've spoke with Mr. Foley a little bit about just what we're talking about, and he's he he's he's point Blake said he's going to be a cap team. He is going to spend to the cap, but I don't see him or his. Or his group, and we're going to have to wrap this up in in about a minute, boys. But uh, I don't see him or his group picking up. Say you mentioned a Ryan Suter, who's going to be nine million dollars until he's forty-one years old. I think he. Well, he has to be protected. He has a no movement clause. But there is rumblings that if the team approaches a player and they're willing to waive their no movement clause, 
that they won't have to be protected and you'll be able to expose those players if those players are willing to waive their clause. So that's just another wrinkle in what's sure to get a lot more complicated before it gets any simpler. Guys, I, I'd love to yeah. I'd love to keep going, but we're flat out of time. Uh, Mr. Forbes, sir, great conversation. I appreciate very much. Again, follow follow Andrew Forbes at Andrew G. Forbes on Twitter. I'm going to have to cut this off because we're like three seconds from the break. We're gone. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk radio format streaming station. Check it out.